welcome back to Balancing Chaos with Kelly and Gretchen, except for Kelly is not here today because she is enjoying a vacation and has never been one who has enjoyed vacations and has now decided that maybe she can get used to the idea of a real vacation. So she will be back with us next week. So today we have a guest and we have our friend Alex. So Alex, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Alex Hendricks. I am a children's book author and librarian, and I'm happy to be here today. <laughs> so Alex is a super bookie, book not a bookie like a gambling bookie, <laughs> but a bookish nerd. And so we love her for that. So how did you, what is your education in? How did you get here? My education is not in writing. I'll just get that out of the way, first and foremost. I, as an undergraduate, majored in history and French. Uh, So I was reading a lot, just in French. Um, And then for graduate school, I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison and got two masters, one in history, studying the history of childhood, and the other in library and information studies, where I concentrated on youth services. But that said, from a very young age, I always wanted to be a writer and said I wanted to be a writer. I honestly can't really explain why I said that and kind of knew that and never wavered in that. And in fact, I just found a letter that as like part of a freshman leadership course we had to write these letters to ourselves as freshmen that then we were given again as seniors and in that letter I said I want to be a writer was that when you, freshman in high school or uh, sorry uh, in college in college and then wow. I never <laughs> so um yeah I took a roundabout route to getting here but I don't I don't feel um like it was a detrimental route in any means in some ways well, every every route that you take gets you where you need to be right, right exactly. so didn't you have like a really influential teacher though in high school or middle school yes I did I had um, Susan Roney O'Brien is a poet and a retired teacher in Princeton Massachusetts and I had her in sixth grade but in fifth grade she kind of took me under her wing and started a young writers group Um, and so it was the best thing that ever happened to me pretty much it was a group of us um, about 11 and up I'd say who were all interested in writing and we focused on poetry and we went to another poet Julie Nunlist's house Um, And she had this really cool Red Barn studio. It was a Red Barn converted to a studio. And we met in there and felt like real poets. And in the feeling of it, became real poets and real writers. And and I did that all through high school. Um, And yes, so Mrs. O, as I called her, um, and have have had a hard time stopping calling her, um, was a tremendous influence and... And I feel so lucky to have had that teacher. What were your favorite books as a child? Oh, boy. Um, My favorite picture books were probably Amos and Boris by William 
Steeg. Honestly, I don't know. I should really know how to pronounce it. It's either Steeg or Steig, right? Yeah, it's one of those two. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amos and Boris. And um, also the... I might mess up the title. It's The Little Mouse... The Big Hungry Bear and the Red Ripe Strawberry. Oh, yeah. You know that yes, one? Yes, I know yeah. that one. Um, those are two of my favorite picture books. I, For middle grade novels, or what are now identified as middle grade novels, Anne of Green Gables was probably my all-time favorite. I read all eight <laughs> multiple times. Have you been to PEI? I haven't. You haven't? I haven't. It, it, I actually didn't have my passport when we moved here until really recently, like last month or two months ago. <laughs> um, well, now that you have it, you have to list. go. Totally. I have not been either. Um, my parents honeymooned in PEI and then never went back with us. And so they've been back now as retirees. And they're like, oh, we never took you here. I was like, no, you never did. You always raved about it. And it's I hear wonderful things about it as a family vacation destination from other people with similar age kids. And it's really great. So it's on our list it's on our list to go. Well, eventually. that's that's interesting because I have been debating if and when I go whether I should take the kids or not. <laughs> so you're making me think, okay, I really should. But um, I have two boys, and I just I just don't know. Maybe they'll fall in love with Andrew one of my Gables. friends who loves it and is went last year and is going again this year has two boys who are a little bit older than yours. There and did she do all the Anna Green Gables stuff? I don't know if she did the Anne of Green Gables stuff, but you can always you can always do the Anne of Green Gables stuff and they can go play in the red sand beaches or whatever. Like it's I think it's enough going on that it wouldn't be. It's not like it's Anne of Green Gables in the middle of a gravel pit where there's nothing else happening for a million miles around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then my I think for young adult, um, Madeline Langle's. A Ring of Endless Light was my favorite, probably, YA novel. So that covered my bases. So mine, so I'll give you mine. And picture books, I had one that was called The Bus to Chicago that I remember really liking. And it was just about this boy who takes the bus to Chicago. And it's not even a book that is known or, you know, it's almost like one of those no author books. But I love that book about the bus to Chicago. And... It probably that's probably what started my like love of cities and how cities work and all of that cool stuff. Um, then I would say uh, Lois Lowry is a huge favorite. Oh yeah, Judy Bloom. I follow them both on Twitter and it's very exciting. And when I realized that Lois, see you didn't you didn't grow up here. So I don't know if you did. You ever have Lori and Associates lawyer ads? I have and no this. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, you know, like the, like the, uh, it's like a personal injury lawyer ad. Oh, oh, oh. So there were these ads that ran all the time and it was Lori and Associates. And I only found out in like the last, I don't know, five or 10 years that that was Lois Lowry's ex-husband and she lived in Maine and lives in Maine and she went to USM and she had all these things. And I was like, you were so close this whole time. Did you know that? I, well, I did not know that about the associates and her ex-husband I did know she's from Maine because this is like a big moment in my life which tells you something about my level of where I am as an author (laughs) um so I am 
one of the guest authors for Island Readers and Writers here in Maine, which is an awesome organization. And on the website, the authors are listed alphabetically, I think. Oh. And I'm next to Lois Lowry. <laughs> You're like, I'm right here. I was this like, is this is the closest I will ever be. To Lois Lowry, and it totally well. Someday Lois Lowry will say, "I can't believe I'm next to Alex Hendricks." It'll be yeah, wonderful. I don't know about that, but and so, uh, so I, I loved, um, like one of my favorites was "A Summer to Die." I loved all the death and Lurleen McDaniel. Do you ever? Oh my gosh, uh, that whole series, which I can't remember it's not even too a series. young to die or too something. young to die i re- well there's there, i mean she has a bunch of series and a bunch of standalones but there was one series with dawn as the main character and her best friend is sandy and sandy dies and dawn dawn does not sorry spoiler alert or too late for the spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> there was a spoiler back there but um I re- I was obsessed with those uh, in middle school, and I think I reread them in high school too. But I mean, I think it's a. De- I should look for research on this, but it has to be a developmental thing because when I taught in middle school, there was this point where everyone hit the Lurleen McDaniel stage. Like, I just want to read about people dying, and so yeah. it must be like a way that that you know tweens process death. Actually, my own daughter is has said, okay. I like books that are about real kids and real stories, but nothing bad happens. And I'm like, well, those books don't exist <laughs> because the whole point of a book is that that there's a conflict. And so I just got her one at the book fair that actually has somebody die in it on purpose. Like you have to understand death. And she's reading it and she's enjoying. It. I'm like, is it too scary? No, it's pretty good. So I think she's right on the cusp of her Lurleen McDaniel years. All right. And Judy Bloom. I have, she has my copy of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, from when I was in fifth grade, and she read it when she was in fifth grade, and my name is written on the inside in, like, 14 color of pen, (laughs) and, like, fifth grade writing, and it's the original, you know that they have adapted Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yes, to to make it more up to date with, like... The pads. Yeah. Okay. There's no longer, where you, you know, they no longer have to ask their mother, what's a belt? Which I get. Like, okay, sure. It was 100 years ago. But are we going to put Laura Ingalls Wilder in a car? No. I think there's no. a, so I keep my classic, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, so that my children can understand the history of feminine protection. But I think that also tells you something about, I mean, that book still serves that purpose. You oh, know, yeah. and so and there's a Gretchen in it, and, and well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we we have to keep it around. Oh, and that that's reason. the other one that I loved as a kid. Gretchen hits the ball because Aww. it was the only book that had my name in it, and I never owned it. We always got it from the library, and when I got older, I actually have a collection now of children's picture books with Gretchen in the title. Oh, good, you found more. Yes, and that one. So I own Gretchen hits the ball. Nice, which is. Ironic, because if you've listened, you know I had special gym and never wanted to be near the ball. But it's a was not a prophetic story, but it had my name in it. That's important. Um, does now does Ingrid have books? I'm trying to think of Ingrid's with the books with Ingrid. Not really. She looks. She actually saw one, and she and we were at the library yesterday. And she goes and she pulled out the shelf. She goes look at the read the back. But it was like a like a sci fi book with a character named Ingrid and I was like oh look at that but there aren't many there are Willa is there's a uh, like a series called 
oh like something willa uh, like willa bean and it's sort of but it's like one of those kind of crappy series that feels like it was written by you know it's not well written but it has willa in the title so she likes it well (laughs) and someday she'll get to read um is it willa cather yes I love her. On the so you, you like you pause on the pronunciation on Stieg or Steig or whatever, and one of the best quotes I read was somebody who mispronounces words is just telling you that they're a reader, because they've seen the words, they know the words, but then all of a sudden they're like, ooh, I don't know how to pronounce that word. So I always think whenever the girls mispronounce a word, see that just means you've read it somewhere, you know what it means, you just never heard it said out loud. I do that still. Where I've read a word so many times and then I'll go to say it out loud and I totally say it wrong. And it happened recently with uh, my partner, but I, I won't out him on what it was. But <laughs> needless to say, there were there was a lot of laughter in that moment. <laughs> well, it was him saying the word? It was, which made me actually feel better because he tends to know everything about everything. <laughs> and, you had and I'm the one making those blunders, so right. it was satisfying. Sorry, honey. So there's the early McDaniel years, and then I'm trying to think of what I read in high school. And that was a long time ago for me because... Well, I think the market has really changed. and And I think saying market is also key to it because... Not necessarily the story. Some of the stories themselves have changed, but young adult literature as a thing, like I don't remember having YA books as a as right. a section. Um, I remember seeking out books with people my own age, but not always successfully and not always. I, I feel like I read a lot of adult literature, too. And 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 some books like The Book Thief. Mm hmm. Um, so that Marcus Zusak is Australian, I believe, and that was first published in Australia as as an adult book, but then it was repackaged here as a young adult book. So, so um, anyway, I I do think it's it does kind of just depend on what you. I'm I'm on a tangent now, but <clears throat> well, I I think I love reading the YA books and reading the middle grade books because if it's a good story, it's a good story, and I don't tend to get too wrapped up in the in the category. Except for you know, like there are some genres that I just don't enjoy or don't I don't read westerns, I don't read sci fi, fantasy stuff. I like contemporary fiction and maybe historical fiction stuff like that. I don't think I've ever read a, a western. I do read some um, sci fi and and a fair amount of fantasy but um the other thing too about young adult literature in middle grade I feel like some of the most exciting writing out there is happening in those genres um and and I think that there's that kind of goes in line with the fact that there are young adults leading changes happening in the world right now and and there's also those kinds of themes well have you seen that have you seen the tweet like there was i've seen a tweet go around that says basically you know we've been we've been uh feeding them dystopian fiction and youth (laughs) rebellion stories for a decade we haven't been just giving them books we've been training them (laughs) something like that it's that's incredibly paraphrased and i'll try to find it but basically what do you expect we we've told them that they can rise up and and take over 
Yeah, I, I think I saw, I don't know if it's the exact tweet or a or a similar one that was like, the Hunger Games, children go to the Capitol to protest kids dying. Mm-hmm. 2017, 2018, children going to the Capitol to protest children dying. And it's like, oof, yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. So how did you end up becoming an author? I... Well, I, my first job was working at American Girl as a historical researcher um, when I was in graduate school. So I was working there part time. I, I didn't know that they were headquartered right near Madison, Wisconsin. They're in Middleton, Wisconsin. And when I found out, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to apply. Um, I will sweep the floors. I don't care what I do. Did you had were you into American Girl dolls when you were a kid? I was. I, re- I did have a couple of the dolls and I read those books nonstop. And I I always loved historical fiction. And those were the first historical fiction books I really read. Um, ironically, I could not stand history classes until pretty late in high school um I say ironically since it, it went on to be my major and then and then my graduate degree <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway I I got this job as a historical researcher and it was a dream job honestly it was really fun I love the people I worked with and working on the books and I left it to move here after three years um we're moving here for a job opportunity uh for my partner and and I thought well okay now I can focus on my writing and try and write for myself but I was also in the right place at the right time because um an editor at the Getty Museum contacted my supervisor at American Girl and asked for some ideas about authors to turn to because they were interested in doing a historical picture book. And he included my name and said, you know, she's not published yet, but she's a great writer and you you might want to give her a chance. And so she contacted me then and asked for a writing sample and then an outline for a possible story and and that turned into my first book which came out in 2016 and is called Therese Makes a Tapestry about a girl in 17th century Paris who wants to weave for the king at a time when girls were not allowed to weave so that's that was a very kind of lucky start in that I had a book commissioned for me, even though I didn't have that writing background. Or, well, the right, the published um, writing, but I, but I had the work experience, and um, and I did have the writing ability, and was able to, fortunately, show the editor that, and then and then work from there. But now I'm kind of backpedaling because there are so many things. Or at least the last couple of years, I have, you know, I've been stepping back. I joined the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And 
have gone to those conferences and other workshops and learned more about the community. And and I've always read children's books. I never stopped reading picture books or middle grade or YA. So I've always been kind of up on the literature in that sense. But um, just making contacts, learning the community, learning more about the craft. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, the more you learn, the more you realize you have to learn kind of thing, too. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been I can't think of a better community to be a part of professionally. They're children's book authors, I think, are pretty upbeat, <laughs> optimistic, <laughs> fun people. Um, and so I'm really, really fortunate and, and so glad to have become a part of that community, too. Awesome. When you were at American Girl... So you said you were a historical researcher. So what exactly does that mean? So usually I describe that kind of as being a historical editor. I would work on a manuscript from its outline form through to the finished uh, book, pretty much. And I would do primarily two things. One was provide research to an author um, and and then also fact check the story as it came in. So I would be literally reading line by line and it depended on the story which ranged from you know, well my projects ranged from the early 1800s through the 19... 19- 70s. Did you focus on like a certain character or was it all? No. Well, so I worked on mostly mysteries um, and I was the lead researcher on on several different mysteries and the characters I worked on, I worked on Rebecca, I worked on um, Julie, Kit, um, Marie Grace, who is archived now. She was the 1850s New Orleans and 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 her friend Cecile. Um, yeah, so those were the characters. I might be missing some, but I think I worked on Samantha too. But um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, I was reading broadly and for minute details. Like you might need to know the you know did shoelaces exist or did were pockets in clothing or tied on no they weren't because they've never been in clothing and they will never be in clothing because the world hates pockets on girls clothes so that's an easy one just say no she didn't put that in her pocket because she's a girl and there were no pockets i wonder how many times you've you've managed to bring up pockets on this podcast more pockets (laughs) are you listening clothing manufacturers (laughs) I, I'm currently wearing a, dr- a pocketless dress. And of course it, you are. It is frustrating. Yes. Totally I'm wearing a pocketless skirt. That's why I'm wearing a coat. So exactly. I have Exactly. I have a coat on too. Yep. What were we talking about? About your research at oh, American Oh, yeah, Girl. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, it, I mean, really, it, for one mystery, I was learning all about African gray parrots. <laughs> for another, about Houdini. 
it was really fun and kind of wild. What's the most, is there any like most interesting fact that you learned by doing all this research? Oh, gosh, the most interesting fact? I, <laughs> I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. I did learn a lot about in that African Gray Parrot project. I didn't realize how smart birds are. <laughs> I'm sorry, birds of the world. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're smart. We can hear this. We know. <laughs> and well, and 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 it gave new meaning to the phrase "bird brain," um, <laughs> which I did put in that looking back. <laughs> um, I, I also, you know, one thing I was completely fascinated by. I did some research on polio. And the development of the vaccine. And I had no idea how controversial that development was of that particular vaccine because it was a live, it was a live vaccine. And um, that, that was a really interesting history to learn about. And there were, you know, multiple people competing to, to finish it simultaneously so I did like that was it like the space race only for polio vaccines well I mean yeah it's interesting because it it was like that same cold war era right (laughs) so there yeah that competition was kind of paralleled that when you wrote your book I remember you got to go to LA right I did so tell us about that I went to Los Angeles for the opening of the tapestry exhibit that my book came out in relation to. So this is at the Getty Museum. And the tapestry exhibit was of tapestries primarily from the 17th and early 18th centuries, um, French tapestries or, or tapestries that were part of... Uh, Louis XIV's collection and it was it was so much fun it was really moving too in a way that I didn't quite expect because I'd been working on this book and we used a real tapestry as the basis for the one that Therese weaves and I had been looking at it on computer screens and in books and the size you know the biggest size I ever saw was maybe like two inches by four inches you know I don't know I'm not good at math or scale (laughs) but it was very small is the is really what I'm trying to convey um maybe a little bit bigger than two by four but certainly very small and when we walked in to one of the rooms at one point it was there on the wall in real life. And I was standing with the illustrator, Renee Grafe, and our editor, Elizabeth Nicholson. And the curator, who also did a lot of research um, and answered so many questions for us, Charissa Bremer-David. And we were all standing there, and we walked in. Charissa had seen it, but... I think, yeah, she must have. But um, it it was just, it literally took my breath away. I think it did for all of us because there it was. And it's huge. It is 
floor to ceiling, but not like a like a normal house. Right, like gallery floor, floor to, to ceiling. ceiling. Yeah, gallery floor to ceiling, and then and then wall to wall. I mean, it was enormous. I so it's different than the tapestries you would hang on your dorm room wall in the early nineties. Did you hang tapestries <laughs> on your walls in the early nineties, Gretchen? Of course. <laughs> did Did you have those back when you went to college? No, we moved on to posters. Oh well, no, they're posters too. But there would be a poster sale and a tapestry sale, and you had to buy like the most hippie looking tapestry and then you stapled it to your wall and that was your like wallpaper i think i might have had a um clearly i should have gotten a france and gotten a good one (laughs) yes you really should have well in the goblin where the the story takes place is still a working tapestry so was the tapestry that is hanging in the getty is it um had it been woven by a girl no uh, so that's the fictional part of my historical <laughs> fictional. You know, she probably would have done it book. if she'd had pockets. <laughs> I don't know that pockets would necessarily have keep all changed. her stuff in her little needle. <laughs> Maybe pockets changed rules for girls, or she was weaving a pocket. <laughs> Gretchen really She's likes getting this the real pocket work idea. done. <laughs> um, so girls. Until the 19th century, we're not allowed to weave at the Goblin Manufactory. Boys were trained from about age 11 on, but girls were there at the factory. Um, I say factory. It's not like a factory like you would picture today, but it, it, it was a manufactory or workshop, artisan workshop. and So not like the Lowell textile mills that no. little kids worked at here. No. Um, and and the weavers and other artists, they lived on site with their families. So there were kids present. And that was part of my inspiration for the book was looking at um, the Encyclopedia of Arts and Sciences that Diderot wrote. And he has so many illustrations in that and one is of the Goblin or more than one but there's one where you see a picture of the workshop and there's a little girl standing in front and she's carrying a skein of yarn for one of the weavers and so I knew that there were girls on site and that they were actively present in the workshop so I went I took it from there and thought about well, what if there was a girl who wanted to weave? And then we explored whether girls might have been able to weave elsewhere. So we determined that they could have been weaving in their house. So in, in Teresa's story, she has a small loom in her house that she uses to make um, like napkins and blankets, like practical household items. And she practices on that. Um, and that and that's how she she weaves. So she's not weaving the big tapestry. She's weaving something small that's a gift for her father, actually. And 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 it goes from there. But so when they approached you to do this book, how much did they give you? Did they say we want it to be about this tapestry and a girl weaves it, or was what was the the pitch to you? They said they wanted a story about French tapestries from the 17th, 18th centuries. 
Um, and that was kind of it. And my research quickly led me to the Gobelin, to the, um, to that picture, to, to identifying that girl and thinking about girls in the workshop. And, and a lot of it I felt like was, there was just a lot of synchronicity involved. And when I did talk to my editor and we went back and forth on, um, outlines in a couple different versions and. But it always seemed like we were in sync with with what we were thinking about and imagining. And she loved the idea of having it be about a girl and um, the possibilities of that explored in history. Were you writing specifically about that tapestry that was going to hang in the Getty or was that just something that happened? That was, I did we did look for a tapestry that would be part of the exhibit. Um, and that tapestry, which is called the month of December had not been out in public on display for something like half a century. I think it'd been in storage. I, I would, I would have to double check this. So sorry if this is wrong. <laughs> you're a fact, you're fact checking. I, your I, own I fact would need checking. to fact check my fact checks, <laughs> but I believe it had been in storage since around world war ii yeah like it'd been a long time so they restored it for this exhibit what was the most surprising thing about writing a book and going through this process to some extent i didn't have perhaps some of the surprises that other debut authors might have because I'd worked at American Girl first and had been on the publishing end of things, I had seen how closely authors and illustrators were working with editors and art designers and how much of a collaboration it was. So I didn't, I, I, I think that sometimes is a surprise of just that, that there's so much teamwork that goes into it. And that it's not just, here's my manuscript. <laughs> and, um, but for me, one of the actual surprises was to do with the illustrations. And it was a really happy surprise. Um, and, and it was twofold. One was, part of it was that I, my editor had asked me if I had any illustrators in mind, and I did. I had one, but I thought, I am a debut author. <laughs> I, and I'm dealing with the Getty, who knows art <laughs> better than anyone. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, <laughs> and, and whoever they get is going to be wonderful, and I'm going to be happy. Um... So I didn't even suggest the one person I had in mind. And then when I found out who the illustrator was, it was the person I had in mind. Oh, really? Mind. Yeah, it was Renee Grafe. <laughs> um, and so that was a really fun, fun surprise. And then the other part of it, you know, when you're writing a story with... Um, I mean, I think most stories have characters in some form, but maybe some stories aren't as character driven as others. And and you have an idea of what your character looks like and 
and how they um, manifest in the world. And I, I was preparing myself, okay, this is not going to be how my character looks. So I got the initial sketches of Therese and I gave myself like a little prep. <laughs> like, okay, it's not going to be what you're imagining. So let it go and, and then get on board kind of thing. And I, Oh, and this is even even knowing it was an illustrator I loved. You know, you just have right. an idea and you know it can't. It almost possibly. sounds like a like parenting advice. Yeah, that <laughs> that's true. I should adopt that my own <laughs> my own advice given back to me by Gretchen. Thank you. Um, repackaged. So anyway, I opened those initial images and it was my character looking at me like I recognized her instantly and like teared up on the spot because it was her and it it was it was not something I ever could have imagined that sensation of recognizing my own character I know you're writing now and you try to carve out time for your own writing what is what are some what are some ways that you make sure to write what are some tips or tricks or whatever for writing I, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the best person to give advice, first of all, um, but I write in mostly pockets of time, um, which is hard, both in the sense of, you know, you're not able to dive into something for hours on end the way you might want to, um, and just identifying them and grabbing them as opposed to, you know, you could use the same amount of time to fold laundry, (laughs) which I'm sure there are days my partner wishes I did. (laughs) But I think giving yourself permission to use pockets of time, regardless of how small they are, to do your work, your writing is is one of the hardest and best things you can do for yourself. Um, and, and safeguarding them, too. Now, Fridays are my writing days, and um, so I have a little more time. But honestly, I don't necessarily get all that more more writing done because then there's also submissions and um, querying and and it, it all just and then and then there are certain errands that I'm like, OK, really, I do need to use part of my Friday to go do this. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I'm still working on, on that safeguarding, but, but having a place too is really, I, um, converted a, what, what the former owners of our house were using as a storage closet, but is big enough to be like a little studio and there wasn't heat, but there was a vent in the guest room right next to it that had, that we could tap off of and add heat and so we did that after a couple of years and found you know some bookshelves at a store that was closing and and a desk you know that second hand and I turned it into a studio that's now my favorite room in my house and when I walk into that space I do feel like like my mind shifts and you're going to work yeah yes. I'm going to work and so it, it is nice to have a place um but but I don't think you necessarily have to. I think the most important thing, which you'll 
hear time and again as a writer is button chair which (laughs) (laughs) um and and I I did a a an amazing workshop slash retreat at Jane Yolen's house and that was her big thing is button chair bick (laughs) (laughs) and Jane Yolen is a prolific children's author and you got to go to her house and of course I joke about this but when you were there I thought you texted me and you ran into somebody whose mother I knew who was actually from here which was crazy it was the daughter of the woman that I did a um, one of my student teaching experiences with like 13 years ago her debut book comes out tomorrow is it tomorrow it's tomorrow her name is Casey Robinson her book is Ivor and Ellsworth about a rooftop bear. And it's about the polar seltzer bear. I know. Which is my favorite. And it's, like I actually well, had inspired seen. By. Inspired by. Inspired by. Whatever. <laughs> I saw that bear when I went to Washington, D.C. on the Girl Scout bus. Because I don't usually drive through that part of Massachusetts. And I was like, oh, I love you, polar seltzer. And I had seen. And I knew that she had a book coming out. But I had never made the connection until was it on Facebook or something? I was like, oh, inspired by the polar... And I was like, the polar seltzer bear. This is going to be a book I'm going to have to own because I love polar seltzer. Yeah, I think I posted that. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, inspired by. Yeah, it's such events. a sweet story. I can't wait. I pre-ordered mine from the Briar Patch downtown. And um, Casey is one of my dear friends now and a writing critique partner. So the two... And she and another author whose debut is coming out next year, Jamie Dinahan, um, the three of us all met at Jane Yolen's house and was, and we had an awesome group and the three of us are all kind of in around the same place in our careers. And so how did you, so how do you end up at Jane Yolen's house? <laughs> um, on a dream. No, I mean, it, she did picture book boot camp a couple of times I mean more than a couple I'm sorry she did it a couple of times that year and the requirement is that you are published or contracted to be published um and and you can apply and and Heidi Stemple her daughter is also there and she cooked every single meal for us (laughs) It was phenomenal. And we went owling with her. And Heidi is the little girl in Owl Moon. Oh, cool. So that was really, really fun. But yeah, so then she has, she ran this wonderful series of workshops and um, and we stayed in her house and it was really, it was, it was a wonderful experience. I just have the fondest memories of it so if somebody's listening and say well I want to be a picture book writer <laughs> um, what would you tell them to pick up what are the tools that they need that they could do without they, like they don't have the the credentials to go hang out with Jane Yolen yet <laughs> so what are the things that they could pick up buy they need to get their butt in the chair but what are some um, things to have I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is an aspiring picture book author is to or pre-published as they say if you're writing (laughs) um but aren't yet out there right you're doing the work so you're already you're already a writer you don't and um 
Anyway, is to join Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI, and then go to the conferences because they have such great workshops and um, that's actually where I met Jane Yolen first was at SCBWI because she's always she's right. always there and, and the New England one I should say um, the New England branch of it and you know take adv- advantage of of all the resources that are out there the other group for picture books that's really amazing and a wealth of resources and information and support is called 12 by 12 uh, the 12 by 12 picture book challenge that's run by Julie Headland and that is both an online forum and um, there's a Facebook group that goes along with it and there are webinars run by agents and editors and authors and um, just all kinds of like I, I participate in a craft book discussion group that's that's really neat um, and helpful but they just have lots of support lots of people cheering each other on and are an easy place to just learn and and get critiques get all that stuff you need when you're when you're first starting out and then you know also just do the writing the best thing you can do it is both write and read read (laughs) take out books sometimes i have actually gone to the library with a suitcase (laughs) and checked out (laughs) that many that many picture books and um occasionally you know my my passenger i'll put them on my passenger seat and my car and and then my car will beep at me that (laughs) <laughs> there is someone unbuckled <laughs> in my car. So read, 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 and and write because the best thing you can do for yourself is also write and and writing down. Don't worry if about the bad ideas or 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 if it's a bad idea because sometimes the bad ideas turn into good ideas. I keep a running list of ideas. I just use my phone, the note app on my phone because I always have my phone on me so that way whereas like a little notebook which I would really like to be one of those like artsy cool people <laughs> that has a little notebook they whip out of a pocket a skin. <laughs> yeah but you're a woman and you don't I have pockets I, I can't depend on the pocket or a purse or whatever but I, the reality is this is why a pocket for corduroy was such a success saw a need <laughs> oh that's another one of my favorites <laughs> I think those things and and the other group I love is Tara Lazar who's another picture book author runs Story Storm um every January and that's open to anyone and it's a series of blog posts and um just kind of inspirational or 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 shop talk posts from a variety of people in the field and the idea is you generate one idea every day and you write it down and that's open to anyone you don't have to and it's free and it's a really great thing to keep in your pocket (laughs) (laughs) um sorry i couldn't help myself i i do that in january and then i have a running list that i use the rest of the year and I still add to it throughout the year I don't I don't do it every day anymore but I am pretty good about doing it in January 
Um, and and I do actively use that list of stories because I can't always think on the spot when I'm ready to write a new right. draft of exactly what I want that to be about. So you have you have kids. What are some of your favorite picture books that are more contemporary since you were a kid that that your kids enjoy or that you enjoy? Uh, there's so many out there right now. Um, a go-to picture book I love to give as baby gifts um, is All the World by Liz Garten Scanlon, and that's illustrated by Marla Frazee. Um, the one that I always give is Everywhere Babies, which is, I'm blanking on the author's name, but I think that's also that's illustrated Marla. by Marla yeah, Frazee. Exactly, exactly. Um, oh, there's so there's truly so many out there. If for funny books, one of my favorites right now is The Legend of Rock Paper Scissors, <laughs> um, which has me in stitches every time I read it. Um, that it's just it's a hoot. And there are oh, there's a book I just read today that is lyrical and it's called what if i think oh gosh i hope that's what it's (laughs) called about and that's by samantha berger and illustrated by mike curato again i might be mispronouncing these names (laughs) um but but it's essentially about what if your forms of storytelling were taken away from you so if 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 the way you told stories just were eliminated, um, what would you do? And it's just a beautiful story about, well, you would find another way. You're always going to create. You're always going to tell a story. Um, I love that book. I'm like, I, I'm, you know, stumbling here because my mind is reeling with the, the possibilities. I'm trying to think of books. My boys, well, they both love The Legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors. Um, there is, oh, Jane Yolen's new book, A Bear Set on My Porch Today, is really, really fun. It's a cumulative tale, um, about all these different animals who come and sit on the porch, and there's some grumpy, there, there's some grumpy moments and some happy moments and some funny moments and and an awesome double gate fold where all you know the two pages open right. up and it, I I um I really enjoy that. Um, I would say that like in ours and my girls are sort of aging out of paper. Uh, I'm not uh, aging out of picture books. Never. Even though you never, I was going to say you never age out of picture <laughs> books. Uh, but Chris Van Dusen. Oh is yeah, like an absolute favorite, and he's a, and I give his books as gifts all the time, and I'm like, you know, yes, I'm like, this is not a Maine author, this is an author that happens to be from Maine, because sometimes you know, like, I'll give a local book, and sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, it's not that great, but his are so engaging, and he actually came and spoke at a at an event that we saw, and he did this whole workshop and showed us how he brought in the like, um, some of the original paintings and stuff that he had done for his books because he's an author and an illustrator mm-hmm. and it's just amazing and he's absolutely one of my one of our favorites yes the circus ship is our one of our go-tos yep um yeah that main is pretty rich in in authors and illustrators yes it's 
Sorry, I'm distracted by your cat. <laughs> <laughs> so any uh, favorite things? So let's wrap it up with some favorite things or anything to add before we move on to favorite things. I I just feel like I need to say I feel like I'm leaving out so many books and that I'm missing an opportunity to say them all. And I apologize for that. <laughs> Well, when you take books by the suitcase, of course, you're going to leave out some. If we couldn't, if it was, if you put in all your favorite books, all the podcast would be, it would just be you reading titles. Right? <laughs> right. So what's, so what's your favorite thing? Well, related to children's books, um, another podcast. So I have pretty much like two podcasts I listen to every single week. <laughs> Balance and Chaos is one of those. The other one is the Children's Book Podcast by Matthew Winner. And um, it he interviews authors, illustrators, um, sometimes agents or editors. And he's a very upbeat person. And I always come away from listening to it always feeling like I learned something but also just happy <laughs> it's, it's like I know if I listen to the children's book podcast I will come away happy sometimes I do cry listening to your podcast I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry oh, oh, oh we got some heavy topics though you do like it's not a daily thing right like it's not a weekly thing no like we I just... don't cry every week I promise okay we have some coming up that might make you cry because oh, we have great. some great guests lined up um but but we try to we try to hit all those all those different things you know well, what I mean it's all about balance <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing going along with books is I love Goodreads oh yeah do you use Goodreads to I do keep track of stuff I, I use it because I am a forgetful person too and I will sometimes look at a book and um start reading it and then realize two chapters and I've read it before um, <laughs> and so I I do use it now to keep track of my books I have to say I wish it would like keep track of books that I've made well I could I could just make a list of books that I've given as gifts because I've also been known to re-gift a book to the same person <laughs> I'm like this person needs to read this book I need to give it to them and then I give it to them multiple times well the well it depends on what the book is I guess if you keep on giving like you know <laughs> lose this toxic <laughs> habit um i love goodreads for for that forgetful thing where i hear about a good book or i read a review of a good book and i think oh that sounds like one i'd really like and i just throw the title into my goodreads and then i'll be like oh okay i'd like to read a book and i can go through and look and say oh right i remember reading this review two years ago and now it's time to do it the other thing i love about it is are you signing up for goodreads deals no so in Goodreads deals, it looks at your list of what you want to read. It, it profiles you based on the books you've already read and the ones you've rated and things. And it will send you update. Every day there's a Goodreads deals update of, we think you might like these deals. And we happen to notice that the Kindle version of this, in particular, because I use a Kindle almost exclusively, this book is down to one ninety nine. This book is down. To, so I get all these great books when they're on sale for a day. for And so then I'll buy them. I'll buy them even though... I'm not ready to read them yet, uh, but I'll say, oh yeah, I did want to read that book. Boom, $2. And it's in my Kindle library so that then when I run out of, when I finish whatever book I'm on, I'm looking for something to read. I can look in my library and say, oh yeah, I want to read this book now. I don't really use Kindle. I use mostly, um, well, mostly I read, you know, real 
yes. books, I guess, for lack paper of books, a better. Papers, yeah. a good, a good books idea. Books made out of paper um, that I buy from my local bookstore, which is also one of my favorite I things, love and the Briar Patch. I love the Briar Patch, and I just spent a bunch of money with them um, last week. They had an event, and I bought some books for my daughter, and I bought uh, a book for my classroom and my teaching and stuff like that. Speaking of awesome main authors, I think... Oh, it'll be before. Lynn Plord is going there tomorrow. Yes. But um, but I also use Cloud Library, which lets me check out ebooks and audiobooks from the library. Yeah. And and a lot of libraries, some libraries will use OverDrive. Um, but I, f- I feel like most libraries now have, you know, in Maine some they've all switched form. to. Well, in Maine, they've all switched to the cloud library. Well, right, but right. I miss Overdrive. I, oh, yeah, I have mixed. I have mixed feelings. I use Cloud Library a lot, and I do. I'm on board with it now, but there are certain features of um, Overdrive that I miss. I feel. I felt like the searchability was a little easier, but the main reason I miss Overdrive is that you can't get Cloud Library on a Kindle, and I don't yeah. like reading on a device because it's far too distracting so people make fun of me for having all these devices but my kindle allows me to still get lost in a book but it doesn't take up space i don't have lots of bookshelf space i can read in the dark because it's the paper white so it has the backlight and i and it used to be that when we had overdrive i could check out the books and put my kindle in airplane mode and then when the book expired, it went back on the shelf at the library, on the online library, but it stayed on my Kindle until I reconnected to the internet and it wiped it off. So I would be able to read, take the time I needed to read the book if I had to. And I miss all of those features, which don't exist with the cloud library. Yeah, I think that Amazon won't give, you know, they won't contract with cloud library. They only will work with OverDrive, so... Come on, Amazon. Support <laughs> libraries all around. Actually, I've I've I read it the other way too. That it's the I've read I've read it read it in both directions. But Amazon's a big company, and it was certainly nice to have the overdrive feature. But anyway, yeah, totally, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> so next week we're gonna have Kelly on. But Alex, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. You're about to go. You're gonna you're gonna leave before Kelly gets back because you're going on a big trip. I am, and I hope that you have a wonderful time. And I'm not going on any trips until, well, I'm going on a, to a conference in July, but then not till November. So uh, if you enjoyed listening to Balance and Chaos, please tell two friends. You can always leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have any questions or want to join us on Facebook, you can find us at Balancing Chaos Podcast on Facebook as well. And hope you have a great week. Thank you again, Alex. Thank you. Bye. Bye.